Tech Sounds presents EduTrends. Hi, um, we are in um, Inc. Monterrey, uh, the greatest festival of entrepreneurship in Latin America. And today um, I'm very glad because I have uh, here a good friend, uh, Nori, Nori Sanwada, uh, uh, Norisha. Is that, uh, the right. pronunciation is correct, Nori? Yeah, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Nori has been involved uh, for a while in, in the EdTech uh, field, um, mainly from, um, I would say, um, venture capital, um, acceleration of enterprises, and I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. Yes, it's actually my first time in Mexico and also, of course, uh, Monterrey. It's a beautiful city, beautiful city. Great. I, I, I'm happy that you're enjoying Monterey and, uh, and the festival of Inc. Monterey. So, uh, reading a little bit about um, EduLab, which is your company, uh, the company in which you work, EduLab uh, says that um, it seeks to improve education through science. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. What, what's implying that? Sure, sure. So, uh, I guess uh, it might be better to start with uh, the explanation of EduLab, what we do in Japan. So EduLab was founded about five years ago. It's still a new company, but we've been in the education industry for a very long time. Uh, we were known in Japan as a Japan Institute of Educational Measurement. So we are one of the uh, prominent assessment-based company in Japan. For example, you may know like the ACT, ETS of the United States, as well as Cambridge Assessments. We are an organization that specializes in assessments. And if you say assessment, you need to be very scientific. Uh, so one of the uh, services that we provide to the Ministry of Education in Japan is, for example, uh, we help Ministry of Education college entrance exams. You know, OECD, PISA, PIAC, TIMS, those are all done by us in Japan. Uh, and also we provide the largest English aptitude test in Japan. So that is our history. But what we found out uh, five years ago is now we see assessment and learning more fabricated together. And we saw a lot of dynamic trends going around outside of Japan, which was the EdTech, or should I say, which is EdTech. So we need to create a new vehicle that is a little more generic than from the assessment. So that is why we created EduLab. That was five years ago. And EduLab's mission is, of course, we look at assessments, we look at solutions that will enhance assessments and learning, as well as we go outside from Japan to look for trends, what's going on around outside of Japan. And the best way, or maybe the fastest way would be to create an investment vehicle. So we have 
two vehicles in terms of investments. Uh, we have done direct investment from EduLab. Uh, we've invested in uh, seven startups in EdTech around the globe. Uh, for example, uh, several companies in the United States, a company in Vietnam, two companies in Israel. So it's a global. And uh, last year, we created another investment vehicle called EduLab Capital Partners, which is based in Boston. And uh, December, we set up an office and less than one year, we have invested in already another six EdTech startup. So that is uh, generally what we are doing. And to answer your question, uh, scientific is the foundation of our organization because we come from the assessment space. Exactly. So that, that means that when you look um, at a startup, you look at um, uh, if they're founded by, informed by research, uh, that they can demonstrate that they work? Right. So in terms of investment, one, yes, we look at one area, which is, is it effective? Because if you talk about learning and education, in the end, it's about return on education. And for us, return on education comes first before return on investment, because return on education is return on investment to us. So we look at the efficacy of what these startups claim. And of course, should I go, not only efficacy, but of course, uh, the scalability. How scalable will these companies be? And also, uh, another area that we started to look at is people talk about edtech, education, technology, startups. But sometimes you need to look at tech in ed. So basically, uh, some companies that we've invested recently, their solution is outside of education at this moment. But they have a core IP technology, which as an education uh, company, we see a potential in the use of education. They might need a little bit of guidance, but we see their technology disrupting education from our point of view. So tech in the ed is some uh, a new area of investment that we are looking at. I, I, I like that because uh, most of the time we, start, we stay in our own field and we don't look at other places um, for pollinization of ideas. Uh, can you give us an example of one of those companies that uh, sure. come from another field and that their algorithms can be applied in education? Sure. So, <clears throat> um, two areas that we are looking at. One is the field of AI. Um, this is a, a straight example of a company that we recently invested 
It's a company in Irvine, California. They use AI, GAN technology, to carve out movie clips, an object from movie clips. And they use that to regenerate images to put it in a certain model. So, for example, if, let's say you can't dance like、uh, some Hollywood artist, but if you have a certain pattern of your self, selfie movie shot, by using this AI based GAN approach, automatically carves out your dancing image and put it on the Hollywood model's dancing model. And That way, it's you who will be dancing in the actual field. And how do we use that in education? For example,、uh, for younger generation students who want to learn English, they might feel more intuitive by seeing themselves in a storybook. The self image. Self、uh, movement. And the other areas is related to assessments, maybe. For example, in assessments, we create many, many question items that include videos, that include pictures, and sometimes creating a new footage is very, very costly. But using this AI, To regenerate these images will help us most, more cost effectiveness in terms of our assessments. So, these are one of the examples of like, usage of tech in ed. Tech in ed. Besides artificial intelligence, what other technologies are you looking at for? Opportunities that maybe come from other fields or, or even in education? For example,、uh, another example about tech in ed is、um, uh, voice recognition, automated handwritten recognition. These are also a technology that can be used anywhere. It's domain independent,、uh, somewhat language dependent, but it's, it's definitely domain independent. How can we utilize these technologies in assessments as well as learning? So, these are the areas that we feel potential. And what about、um, virtual reality, augmented reality, extended reality? There's a lot of hype in that area, and、uh, a lot of、um, products that are coming for、uh, not education, maybe, but for、uh, entertainment and、uh, hardware. A lot of investment there.、Yep. Do you see a potential for those、uh, technologies applying education? Yes. I, I, I see a huge potential there.、Um, it, the reason why is because、um, formerly, maybe Pepe san, I don't know if you remember, but、uh, I was a former executive vice president for、uh, one of the prominent education. Providers, game providers for Nintendo. So, Nintendo DS, Nintendo Wii, Right Brain Fitness Games, 
Those were all created by my team. So at that time, we've been looking at XR and, uh, you know, I just love the field. And the reason why we look at XR in terms of AR and VR is it has, I think, a potential to change the English learning. We provide a, uh, one of the Japan's largest uh, English aptitude tests uh, in Japan. So at this, time, uh, at this moment, assessing English is paper-based or computer-based. But if you want to really assess communicative skills, I think it's more uh, effective if you put a person into a real environment using VR. Or maybe AR. So that's an. Uh, Provide an, an like immersive experience. Yeah, immersive, more immersive experience. Exactly, and um, I, I, I wonder, and, and I don't know if uh, you have uh, an opinion on this. Uh, I wonder why is there is so little research in uh, virtual and augmented reality in education because when uh, uh, we have look at that field from the research point of view, uh, the number of uh, publications and people working in that field is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have some ideas of why that is happening? Well, that is a very good question. Actually, I think because VR and AR, usually these raw technologies, the first users, the industrial users, are usually entertainment industry. Okay. And they're those creative people who are a little away from the scientific and the academic areas. But when these start to become a commodity and comes into uh, uh, the actual uh, education field, for example, uh, yesterday I visited Mosla uh-huh. and you had a lot of XR equipments there, trying to introduce that to students and professors and everybody. But when people start to learn the potential of what these new devices can do, then the actual scientific research starts. So I think XR has been in the entertainment space mainly, but the use of education is coming. So the research papers will be coming in recent years, I think. More, more and more. Yeah, another field that we have found in in um, in our um, work, uh, Mosla is one of the labs in Tech de Monterrey around virtual and augmented reality. It's uh, special, special, uh, special imaging skills in math. So when you see a formula in math, it's hard to grasp what that formula uh, indicates, especially yeah. if that formula it's something in 3D. Mm. So uh, we have had very uh, huge gains in uh, skills for spe- special um, reasoning or special uh, work of students using augmented and virtual reality, for instance. Also 3D, for example. So um, I-, I think we, do- we need to do more research uh, in those areas. Definitely. And from the invest- investment perspective into uh, X- XR is... I'm looking for a possibility uh, because XR, human talent is very important. If you look at game industry in the past, uh, 
there's a famous uh, keyword called Atari Shock. Atari was a very famous hardware that came out. But uh, so a lot of people made softwares. Some were very good, some were very, you know. Not so good. Right. But in the end, what these no, not so good games did was they destroyed the whole Atari hardware industry. So the human talent who understands the potential of the hardware and the technology and apply that to education and learning, that is another area that needs investment. So we are looking at a very creative and effective program that would teach new employees coming into this industry So, in the short period of time, leverage their skills to become a, a good XR creators. Now that you were also a former um, uh, Nintendo um, uh, manager in, in, in behind the work, the work of uh, several games uh, related also to uh, learning. What do you think of the potential of gamification in education? Um, actually, I, I've been teaching gamification at Kyoto University uh, in the in a medical department in a postdoc uh, uh, program. Gamification, I think, has a huge power uh, in terms of uh, delivering a content more immersive and more fun way, engaging way. Uh, for example, if you look at uh, assessment space, maybe sometimes, uh, not sometimes, maybe by using gamification approach, as, it, sorry, let me go back. Everybody thinks assessment tests is a burden, but actually assessment and tests could be fun if you apply it in a gamification way, put an environment in a, a very intuitive and uh, uh, immersive way and fun way, for example, using VR, that's a to total game changer. So I think gamification has a, a huge, huge opportunity in delivering the content. Yes. Um, it's, it's also another field where uh, research is very uh, small uh, in, in gamification. So. Uh, Maybe also coming from an industry, it, uh, some people don't take it seriously in, in education. I think uh, research paper in the past in uh, gamification, uh, I think six, seven years ago, there was one hype. And maybe one, one thing that I kind of understood was before people started saying gamification, it was called serious gaming. And before that, it was called simulation. So all these trendy names change, but the fundamental part doesn't change. So I, I think, it, yes, I do agree that uh, in terms of gamification, the research paper is now declining, but maybe it has changed to another kind of research names, like use of simulation approach, in XR, VR, AR. 
But I would say the fundamental part, most of them are the same. It, it's just a, like the specification kind of changed. Okay. Is it the hype word is changing? Yeah, hype word is changing. For example, maybe in three, five years, we will not be just hearing edutech. It might be some new, I, I don't know, a, a new word. Like learning text or something like that. No? Yeah, yeah. For yeah, example. Yeah. Now, let's talk about problems in education. So when, uh, when you're looking at startups for you, um, your uh, venture capital investments, are you looking at certain number of, uh, certain group of uh, problems that you're more interested in the field of education? Um, well, mm, yes. Um, so, certain, certain problems, yes. Um, we see skills gap, in, especially in the, the workforce and higher education. So that's one area that we're looking at. And another area that we're looking at today is about the talent pool. I just talk about, uh, talked about the, uh, the lack of talent pool for XR industry. That's another area that we're looking at. And uh, in terms of uh, problems, uh, we're looking at uh, a gap between learning and assessment. How do we bridge those gaps? Sometimes uh, technology, sometimes gaming. So uh, that's another area that we're looking at. And uh, yes, yes, yes. It makes a lot of sense uh, um, when you talk about um, skills gap uh, uh, and retraining or work readiness of the workforce. And because all the changes that come that will imply retraining a lot of people. And also, uh, when you talk about uh, learning and assessment, I think I'm not an expert in games, but uh, some games when you have to save the princess for that, you have to um, find a sword. And for, to find a sword, you have to speak a new language to talk to a witch or whatever. And so that implies that at the same time you're being assessed, you're learning. Is sort of that that you are thinking, or what, what? What kind of things are you thinking on mixing learning and assessment? Well, so there. So in terms of learning and assessment, more fabricated means two ways. One is like what you just explained. To me, that's an ideal, ideal situation. Second is, in old days, we used to think of assessment as a summative assessment. But now it's more fabricated, meaning it's, it's a formative assessment. The platform's there. Uh, if you want to analyze it in an instance, the device is there. Uh, the, the logic is there. It, 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 it's just like, how do we gather all these data and analyze it in an efficient way and use that To, to make your program better. So these areas, not only one technology can solve. It's gonna, there's going to be a multiple technology that will enable this. And uh, not only uh, technology, maybe uh, experience. 
So all the necessary components, the human talent to analyze this, uh, what are the devices out there that would uh, gather uh, information? What are some of the logics out there that's proven to be effective in this space? That is all our um, target as, a, as an investment. So understood is more a focus on formative assessment than, than summative assessment. Right. Okay. right. So um, we are arriving at, to the end of our podcast today. And uh, I, I wanted to um, challenge you to think in, in 10 years, like in 2030, how do you think uh, people will learn in, in, in 2030, you can pick a scenario, whatever you want, lifelong learning, higher education, K-12, yeah. and, uh, and talk about not only the technology part, but how the humans interact in, uh, in, that, in that year. Yeah. I would say definitely uh, how people will learn, uh, especially in the higher education, there's going to be more and more uh, choices. There's going to be more choices. Uh, you can learn from remote places. Doesn't necessarily have to be a university or college program. It could be an open resource out there. Uh, so for the higher education, more, uh, more choice. It's, it's just, will these learners know what to choose and what's good for them. And that's going to be another skill for them. And for, for the younger uh, generation, I would say most of them will still be learning in classrooms, but still uh, more importance outside of classrooms, what they do. Because in the end, people learn outside of classrooms the time they use to learn outside of classroom is much, much larger than learning in classrooms. So uh, also uh, more freedom there, but compared to the higher education, not as, not as many choices. So people more um, self-regulated in the learning in general, but much more in higher ed. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Interesting. And how do you become self-regulated learner? Self-regulated learner. Yeah. Yes. In, in, in Tech the Monterey Vision 2030, we talk about um, uh, uh, an open, personalized, um, uh, and experiential learning. Mm -hmm. That's what we are looking at. And it's, I think there's a lot of similarities in that. And that implies also um, mentoring the student uh, or or helping the students to develop those skills to find out exactly what they want to do and what, what they want to become. Mm -hmm. So yep. I see a, a lot of uh, similarities in your, yes. in your future. And I see that uh, your approach is, is uh, very ambitious and it's also challenging, but I think it, 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 it has a vision. So uh, I, I'm just excited. I was at Mosla and I visited your campus uh, yesterday and I, I felt that all that vision is is in the campus. Oh. So I'm looking forward to 
to 2030. <laughs> well, we invite you to 2030, but also next year to be here. Thank you very much, uh, Thank you, Marisa. For more information, visit observatory.tech.mx/edutrendspodcast. Thanks to Tecnológico de Monterrey and the Tech Sounds team. Tech Sounds producer Miguel Mejía, Edutrends producer Esteban Venegas and Christian Guijosa. Post production Max Perez. Stay tuned for the next episode of Edutrends. And visit Tech Sounds in your favorite podcast app for other great shows and content. <laughs>